Our limitations, self-doubt, and limiting beliefs about ourselves. Why do we give them so much power? I'm Simon Caruso, and this is the Limitless Man Podcast, speaking to those who doubted their own doubts and overcame limitations to pursue their very own limitless potential. Hey guys, today's all about how to achieve a Guinness World Record. We're joined by Jordan Biggie Steffens, who in 2021 pulled the heaviest train on record, 203.9 tonnes, if you don't mind. That was officially recorded in Adelaide in South Australia. And if you want to read about that, that's on page 84 in the 2022 Guinness World Records book. He's also been a world strongman, a circus strongman. He's got multiple world records, Australia's most powerful man, Australian weightlifting champion. The list goes on and the conversation kicks off just talking about how the mind and the body connection has helped him achieve some of these pretty big goals in his life. So enjoy the podcast, guys. It's growth, you know, like the mind. And I'm fascinated with the mind and the body connection. And then obviously someone like you that's come in and you know, you've done some pretty cool stuff, man. I'm going to, I just want to rattle a few things off you. I want to make sure I get this right. I'll, I'll let you explain it. So Circus Strongman, I don't yep. know what that is, but I'll let you explain that. Multiple, yeah. multiple world records, Australia's most powerful man, Australian weightlifting champion, Russian cup champion, and Highland Games. Now Highland Games, is that like what we see on TV? Like as far as those strongman mm. competitions or? Yeah, so Highland Games is like what we, it would be the original version Highland Games is like what they do in Scotland where they throw the caber, yeah. uh, do a lot. It's a lot of throwing events, um, big stones, et cetera. And then they lift the big stones as well, which is what you'd see on TV at World's Strongest Man, the real big stones. And then, you know, you've got the break-offs of the original stuff. You've got obviously World's Strongest Man, which is what everybody watches on television. Yeah. Um, and then you've got your levels down from that, Giants Live and... Australia's or America's or New Zealand's or wherever strongest man, and then you go down even smaller than that. So, yeah, yeah all different levels. When did you learn? When did you know that you wanted to get into this? Like, did this evolve, or did you just have well, a goal as a young kid where you're like, "Nah, that's that's what I want to do, and I'm going to do it." I guess in in the sense of like um, what I do now, circus strongman. Uh, I guess that was something I started towards the end of my career as a strength athlete. I've only been doing Circus Strongman for since COVID started. So that's been kind of broken. I have I wouldn't really say I've had a consistent run. So what's maybe two years, a year and a half, I've been doing Circus Strongman. But if you go back prior to that, I was um, a wrestler at Flinders University when I was 12, 13 years old. I was training amateur wrestling, Olympic wrestling when I was a kid, did that for a few years. I got scouted at high school uh, for weightlifting. And for me, I guess, when, when I started doing weightlifting, when, when they came out and scouted, I just knew that there was something about this that I loved because I kept sneaking back into the other classes to do more, more of the weightlifting talent scouting yeah. stuff. And my life just went from being, you know, like just going to school for the sake of going to school to being like, okay, wow, like, the Institute of Sports interested in me because of a, a talent that I have. Um, so I really put in the hard yards and, and went to the Institute of uh, Institute of Sport here in South Australia. How old would you have been then, Jordan? I was year nine. So what's that, like 14, 15 years old? So I started strength yeah. sports quite young. 
Um, but again, I was wrestling before that. But there's a story that my mum loves to tell when I was a little kid where I was trying to tear the tyres off her car in the, as a little kid, you know, teeth, hands, whatever, just have an ham at it. And uh, she asked what I was doing and I uh, said I was going to be the strongest man in the world one day. And, uh, you know, I guess two world records later, you know, I, you know, it's one of those things where I can turn around and go, you know, the dream of being a professional strongman was, you know, um, a success, even though it was something I was doing when I was a, a, a baby, basically. It's unbelievable, man. Tell us about tell us about the world records. Uh, earlier this year in, in 2021, um, under, under secrecy, unfortunately, uh, I, I broke two world records. They were done quietly so they could be main features in the Guinness World Record book. So if anyone that listens to this or watches this, if you go out and get the 2022 Guinness World Record book, I think it's on page 84, if I, if I remember correctly, the strength yeah. and fitness area, you'll see a, a big photo of me um, yelling and screaming after I pulled a, a locomotive, so a, a steam locomotive. Uh, five metres, that was 203.9 tonnes. And then shortly after that, um, we broke a circus or an acrobatic world record yeah. where it was myself, uh, one of the acrobats, his name's Andre, and then Emily standing on top, so three high, one, two, three. And we had to walk 20 metres or run 20 metres as fast as we possibly could and time it. And I think we did something like 16 seconds with two people on top of me over 20 metres. So um, they, were, they were just so much fun. It was devastating. I couldn't, you know, I had to keep it from being told. I wasn't allowed to go out and tell anyone because, you know, the biggest thing is if... Why is if, that, man? Is that is that part yeah, of the criteria, it, the rules, or is it just... Well, just COVID they or? wanted these to be such main featured in the book. They said, let's keep it quiet. Because what happens is if, if they release the records, say, I don't know, two weeks after I'd done them and yep. certified them, um, the book would come out later in the year and imagine if somebody else had broken them, the book wouldn't be then current or relevant. Um, so they kept it quiet, so they kept the book relevant almost. Okay. Um, which was really cool. It was a really cool thing to be a part of. And <clears throat> for me, it's like I said, almost 20 years of um, training all into all into that. So it, it was great. It was so much fun. And the three high world record I got to do with two really good friends of mine in, in um, who are a part of a, a very famous circus group called Gravity and Other Myths here in Australia. And, um, you know, and doing the train pool with so many wonderful people as well, so many supporters. Uh, was just, it was unreal. And, you know, it was one of those things where just, it was surreal when you were, when you finished it, you know. Where was it done, Jordan, the train pool? Whereabouts did you do it? Up here in in South Australia, in, in, um, in Mount Barker, a place called Steam Ranger. Um, They are the, Oldest running train line still in Australia. Um, so, yeah, we, I got to pull one of their locomotives, which is an extremely famous one yeah. uh, called the 520. Uh, but it was actually based uh, – that train was the base of a train in Thomas the Tank Engine. Um, the Australian train was based off of the 520, and the ironic part of – that train is that it was in a competition in Thomas the Tank Engine and it was in the Strongman competition. So okay. it's just so it just all gelled together so perfectly well. Um, so they call the train Shane. So it's, straight, it's Shane 
the strongman train. So it's and really strongman cool. train. And 203.9 tons, right? 203.9 tons. How do you how do you train for that? Like you said, basically, it was lit, you let up well, 20 years of, of obviously foundational <clears throat> hard work, but yeah. specifically, was there a program or what about the coaches and stuff? And and then we'll yeah. talk about diet as well, you know, like just yeah, look for me, we, we were talking about this earlier, the mental aspect of it. Yeah. Um, you know, look, I'll, I'll run through the physical side and then the mental side. So yeah, the physical if you can, side, yeah. look, I've been doing strongman for most of my life and lifting weights most of my life. And, you know, to me, it's just going out and doing another thing. Like it's, it's one of those things where I know what I have to do in the gym. I know the exercise I have to do. Um, I had so many wonderful mentors, uh, Grant Edwards, Bill Linden, David Huxley. These are all, legends of 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 strongmen in australian history and, and, and legends around the world these guys had given me cues and tips and stuff i needed to work on to go into this you know event what exercises i should do leg dominant exercises pulling upper back dominant exercises you know just focusing on making sure that the muscles in the right area are working but also it's more of a technical thing than what people think of. It's it's a lot more technical based about your body positions, where they need to be, um, how you do it. The the way it works on the day is a lot to do with it. Testing it comes down to a lot. You know, I test everything I do. Um, if you see me do something, 99.99% of the time I've tested it. The only real time I haven't tested it is when we pulled a, a Qantas 737 here in Adelaide because Qantas wouldn't give me a plane to test before, of course, because <laughs> the planes are in the air flying around. Okay. So, you know, we just, it was on the tarmac. Yeah. Line us up. You know, I got one little feel of it and then it was like, yep, that's all you can do. Uh, you know, okay. I didn't get I didn't get a full run at it or anything. I just got to have a little bit of a feel of, of how it felt and that was it. So I do like to test these things because, you know, it's just smart. You know, you want things to go perfectly well and anything can happen where something goes wrong um, and you want to have plan A, B, C, D all in place if something goes wrong. Yeah. Um, so I guess in, in regards to the train pool, I had, like I said, so many wonderful people supporting me. Again, so many sponsors. Uh, you know, the biggest thing out of my career is how many people have given me so much. These world records for me were to give back, um, to say to... Mm, uh, my coaches through the years, my sponsors through the years, thank you so much for, you know, supporting me because if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be where I am. Um, so, you know, a lot of this stuff was a, a real big thank you to them, but also to family and, and friends who support me as well. So I guess from the physical side of things, it's, it's no different. I've been in the gym almost every day for most of my life. The only times I've ever been out is through injury. Uh, I ruptured my left bicep off. Um, the bone uh, before this world before this world record, and then actually ruptured my other one off the bone not too long ago, about seven months ago. So I've had both biceps um, repaired. But um, what I will say is this: coming down to the moment of truth of when you're doing this type of super event, as we call it, the mental side. So we were talking about you know, mental focus, mental yeah. attitude and stuff like that. Now, I'm going to put you in my shoes for a yep. minute. So um, I'm not the biggest strong man on the scene. I'm not the smallest. I'm about average, about six foot one, six two, 145 kilos. So I'm pretty average size. Yep. So, you know, you walk around most of the time and you, you 
one of the bigger guys in, in normal life, in strongman, you sort of go into a competition, you're average. Yeah. But when you walk into a the train yard itself and the shed doors open and you're staring at 203.9 tonnes of metal, you walk past the side of the train and the wheels themselves are taller than you are. And that's just the wheels. Yeah. They're right at the bottom of the train. So you've got something that is just so massive that sits in front of you. And it is one of those moments where you have to just pull yourself back and go, it's okay, you'll be fine. Think of all the training, think of all the people that have helped you. I've got guys who work with me, Matt Leslie, who's a, a friend of mine from my car club, one of my best mates. He's my engineer. He goes behind the scenes and he does all the stuff he talks with, the engineers from Qantas, the engineers from Steam Ranger to make sure everything's, you know, oiled, greased, working properly, hasn't yeah. just sat there for 30 years and doesn't roll. Like, you know, I have all these wonderful people behind the scenes doing so much that no one ever sees. Um, you know, so when you walk down there, you, you do second-guess yourself to a certain extent, but I guess so many years of being in the game, I just sit there going, I need to make this happen. You know, I, I will make this happen because I need to make it happen. Um, so it's one of those things where it's, it's very intimidating um to really like especially when you see a photo of someone standing next to it because most times when you see a train you're standing on the station which means everything below the station you don't really see the wheels and everything below it so you basically just hop on the train and, you don't realize you know, yeah. it's yeah. just above your head but you trust me you get down onto yeah. the ground it's a very different different world sorry um, so it's one of those things where it's a lot of mental prep where you know you're okay and the test pool is so so important on that mental side the first train i ever pulled was one of the steam rangers uh 150 ton um 621 locomotives which is still massive we went out there and, and i didn't know a few little nuances that happened with these steam locomotives so we'd harnessed up we'd put the ladder down i've set myself up Pulled into it as soon as they've said go. Pulled in, pulled in, pulled in. Nothing's happened. All right, cool. Stand up. Give yourself, you know, 10 minutes, five minutes. Just settle yourself down. Here we go again. Because I don't know if you've ever pushed your car before. I've pushed had- my car a few times. Yeah, I've had to, yeah. You push, yeah. you push your car and it rolls. You feel it roll and you're like, oh, it almost is like you can almost feel the car. Correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're saying. You can't feel a train. It feels like somebody's hooked you to a house and gone pull. So yeah, and I can imagine like, it's yeah, just it, it, there's no feeling, yeah. there's no feeling behind you. So you've gone down again, pulled into the harness hard, and the harness has exploded off my shoulders, like it's just exploded and broken. And I've stood up and I've thrown the harness across the train yard. And there's about a 30 meter gap of everyone around me that wouldn't come near me because I was just, you know, ropeable with myself, yeah. ropeable with the situation. And one of the things we chatted about, my engineer sat down with me, he goes, look, Jordan, when I say go, wait five seconds. 
set up again. He's he's actually fixed my harness and he's rebuilt it for me right there. And then that's why how I long how it. long in between attempts here? So obviously the harness is broken. So so Matt's fixed my harness. Good couple minutes, five minutes okay. between, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Okay. just to settle myself down and yeah. fix it up, and you know just get my head clear, but also him to chat to me. And Matt, talking about Matt again, he was an elite um, skier. He skied for Australia, etc. So he's always good to have as just a guidance of someone who's, you know, been there and done elite level stuff. Yeah. So he's fixed my heart and, and he's like, just wait five seconds. So, okay, cool. Set in the hands. Matt's gone, go. One, two, three. But I've wrenched into the harness again, pulled, and I felt the train start to roll. And I've gone, okay, cool, cool, cool. Bam, 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 bam. Finish the whole ladder. Stood up, Matt's grabbed me, I'm a bit lightheaded. What's to go with that? He's like, what you didn't know and what I was working out off to the side mm. is when the train's brakes go off, it takes five seconds for them to fully release. Okay, there you go. So every time I went go, the brakes were still releasing. So I was putting in like five to ten seconds worth of effort for nothing. Like, it doesn't matter how big or small. If I put my car brake on, I can't That's exactly car. right. It's, it's like putting the handbrake on, isn't it? Um, and exactly. trying to push your car. Yeah. So I broke my harness because of that, and I ruined myself because of that. But it's also that's that's something I would have never picked up on. That's why Matt's there. That's why I have all these awesome people around me because they help me with that type of stuff. Um, and I can only thank them all so, so much uh, because without them. But there's the mental side again. Can you imagine if I rocked up on – on the day of never testing this before, and I broke my harness in front of two thousand people. Yeah, you know, like it just it would absolutely crush me, and it would take me ages. And you just don't know if the crowd's going to hang around, or they, you know, they'll always support, and the people that love you always support you. But you mm-hmm. know, it's when you get to a certain level, and you need to be extremely professional about how you do things, you represent people representing certain things. Um, to the highest level. And again, me personally, I love, I want to represent myself the best way possible to pass on this advice to the next generation of guys that have come through yeah. in any sport, strength sports, whatever, be professional, um, do your due diligence, do your homework, be smart about what you do, you know, make that everyone else is on this level and put yourself up here, you know, just want to be better all the time because it's, yeah. it's going to make you stand out from everybody. Pretty much everyone, Jordan, that I've read about, like, I love studying, you know, athletes, um, anyone that's elite. So anyone that's done something extraordinary, they all say, or one of the common denominators is that they can't do it on their own. So having the right people is just, it's mandatory. Like it's non-negotiable. Yeah, so you, would you agree with that? Like, and in your case, I know oh. you've, you've spoken of it because no matter how good you are, and I'd imagine as you get, you know, to a more elite level, mm. your strength is going to be probably similar to everyone mm. else, right? So there's these other factors then, I suppose, that are going to separate who's going to win and who's not, you know? Absolutely. You get to a certain level and, you know, it's the, it's almost like the smartest guy wins, right? Like, yeah, if everyone's, if everyone's exactly the same, who's doing what to make themselves better, who... Who sits there the night before the competition, studies the equipment, studies the way someone else does it? You know, you. I was big on when I was competing, sitting there and watching the way someone else did something, the way they failed or the way they got it compared to the way I would get it or I would fail. Yeah. 
um, where their strengths were, where my weaknesses were, you know. Um, it, it was just one of those things that I love to multiply through my head. And as a coach now, I tend to, I'm even worse on it now. I tend to really look around at what other athletes are doing, especially if I'm competing against another coach and their athletes against mine. I'm really visual on what their athletes do. If one of their lifts look hard, I know what to do with my athlete to push or, or whatever. Um, that due diligence and just the behind the scenes stuff. And again, the people who have helped me, like <laughs> I, I still remember Gentech who I'm wearing right now, I remember they were my first ever sponsor when I won uh, state weightlifting champs as a junior. They came on board as one of my main sponsors and we're talking that when I was in my teenage years and now I'm in my 30s, you know. So it's, yeah. they've been with me this whole time. Um, they could have moved on. Again, I'm retired from being competitive. Uh, I'm not a competitive athlete anymore. Um, so they could have easily moved on, but they've kept supporting me through my world records and through my... Um, uh, through my circus strongman and through my performance-based strength. So, um, you know, and I've had so many sponsors like that and they've just all been lovely and supported me whenever they could. You know, it's not, I don't turn around and go, look, give me a million dollars. I want to make a million dollars off of you. And, and it's one of those things, I guess, as an, as an athlete speaking to other athletes that listen, if you guys are looking for sponsors, which a lot of people are, don't just think about what they're giving you. Worry about what you're giving them. They're a business. They need to make something off of you. That's what they do. That's what a business does. You know, don't don't just give people everything, but understand that there's got to be some give and take in the situation. Yeah. You know, these guys are giving you their product, their brand. You know, they could they could give me a brand and I'd go out and you know do something stupid as hell yeah you can fuck it up um, that's right yeah. yeah that's right and yeah. then i end up in the news and guess what gen tech nutrition's written across one of my yeah. shirts on my facebook that they step up online you know there, there's a lot of risk on there and i think most people just turn around and go well why don't sponsor just give me all my supplements for free blah 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 i've won this yeah. i've won that it's not just about what you want and what you lose it's about the person you are the way you are as, uh, as an ambassador to other people, how you talk, how you walk, you know. And, again, you don't need to fake it. Don't fake that. Be yourself. Be you. That's what they yeah. want to see. They want to see who you are. And if you're a good person, that will shine through every time. Have you always had that attitude, like that always striving to get better attitude, or have you found that you've developed that over the years? Have you like, do you read books? Do you listen to podcasts? Do you, I don't I know, do you music. engage in other people? What do you do like to get yourself sort of going? Like I that? love music. I was, yeah. um, I'm from a music family. Um, I love all kinds of music. I love like uh, Frank Sinatra is my favourite. I love Elvis. I love Ice Cube. I love Redman. I love Snoop Dogg. I love Enrico Caruso. I love Pavarotti. I love all, I I love Roy Orbison. Like I've got such a very broad cultural music. man. Very cultural. Yeah, man. I, I love I love music, man. My mum was an opera singer. My uncle was, uh, so I grew up with that type of music around me. Um, it's very, it goes straight to the soul, um, and it's it's. I, I what's the old saying? Music can tame the wild beast, you know. But it can do the other thing too. It can make you a beast, and I guess, I. I was always really passionate. I struggled with dyslexia through school, so my studies were not the best 
for me. Um, I actually am what they call a hero now for code read dyslexia. So I'm what they call one of their heroes. So I'll go out and, and work with people with dyslexia, young kids in the community. And, um, you know, for me, I struggled through school, but it was more that when I found my passion and love for something, I really stuck to it and, and worked through and, and really, I just loved strength sports and I loved working with people. And I feel like it was from my grandparents and my mum that had given me that sort of feel through. And, you know, I just, I just love the idea of people of reaching their goal whatever it is it's not a real stress to me if it's not strength related like if you turned around to me and said i want to be um the greatest ditch digger in the world or i wanted to throw the highest ball in the world i would just be happy for you to do that you know because that's what you want to do and you're passionate about doing that um, like I said, again, if you're talking about what keeps me motivated and stuff like that, I just, for me, when I sit down and write programs and, and, and coach and stuff like that, or even when I compete, music is just such a massive thing for me to keep um, my mind focused and just it can change my mood so easily. Um, I'm not a massive reader. Um, uh, I, I do listen to podcasts. I love a good Joe Rogan. I think everyone loves a good yeah, Joe Rogan. Yeah, I love Rogan. Joe Rogan. Yep. Um, and um, I and I love going on podcasts. You know, that, yeah. it's always great too. I always have fun because we get to chat to like-minded yeah. people. Um, but it, music is kind of the thing for me. Like it, again, it's just such a. It can change my mood so quickly and so easily. And um, yeah, I think it's just something that everyone in the world has a, a love for some type of music, even if it's not what I like. Yeah. Um, everyone can almost gel over that. Mm. Yeah. How important do you reckon it is to be connected with that thing you're striving for? Like you've said so many times in this podcast, how, how much you love like strength and you love working with people. You almost like you're saying that you love that process of, of going through what you need to go through to get from where you are to where you're going, right? So, and and some days I'd imagine it's like anything, man. It's, it's it'd be hard, like you know, be days probably where you don't feel like doing the things that you have to do. Do you do you have days like that? Like, and how do you push yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I guess uh, I'm a lifetime drug-free athlete. Um, you know, that's it's been my whole life, and it's one of those things I tend not to bring up too often. I do bring it up, but it's one of those things where as a, a professional strongman and as a strength athlete, no one's ever going to believe you anyway. So I, you know, if somebody said to me, Biggie, I don't believe that you're a drug-free athlete. I just don't believe that the things you've done just don't acclimatise to it. So that's fine. You don't have to. You don't have to believe what I'm saying. The people yeah. that know me and the guys who I've competed against exactly. for the last 20 years, they all know that they all know I am, um, you know. But again, it's just one of those things where it's people are going to believe you, people aren't. It doesn't really matter. It's not a real stress to me, but it is the truth. And, and that's just one of the things I I guess I've struggled and strived with through my career is staying clean. And, you know, you see other people improve and you sort of steadily improve. But it was also one of the things for me where I could always be proud of it. You know, I could always be proud of doing it my way. Frank Sinatra's famous song, I did famous it my song, way. Yeah. Yep. And that's that's kind of the way I look at my career. 
is everything I did, I did it my way because I wanted it to be me and I wanted it to be my way. And yeah, absolutely. As I got older, especially when I got into my late 20s and early 30s now, you know, things do get a bit harder. Like I said, I've done two torn biceps. I've partially torn my quad tendon. Um, you know, all these little niggles and stuff are just coming because I started so young and I've done this for so long. Um, you know, some days I wake up in the morning or like tonight, I'm, I'm wrecked from days of training so far and it's only Monday. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it's one of those things where I just think to myself, you know, I want to just be as good as I can be and I want to rock up on stage for the Fringe show next year in the best shape I could be possibly in and just enjoy the process, even though it's terrible and it's hard. Um, I love the feeling at the end of it when you're done. Yeah. Or I love the feeling. It's like a drug. A lot. I can understand, and this is a massive thing too, I can understand why athletes, when they retire, become addicted to drugs. Yeah. Because it's a massive down when you finish. I... My last competition was in 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 Russia in 2018, oh, 2017, 2018. I think 2017. All these years are just yeah. all over the place with COVID. But, um, yeah, tw- 2018, 2017, 2018, when I was in Moscow, I did my last competition. And it was it. That was it. I was done. I wasn't going to compete ever again. And, I remember walking away from the competition and going, it's over, like that's done and dust. And I won't step on another platform again. I won't compete. How weird is that feeling? Uh, I remember my last strongman competition. I remember my last of certain things where you walk away. Um, in Sydney, when we used to do the Bundle Noon Stone lifting, there used to be 20,000 people there. And you'd be loading stones onto barrels. So you have, it was like an amphitheater. So you've got all these people coming down on top of you and you're lining up to do this. And this is one of the most surreal moments probably in my career is David has got the um, time, uh, the stopwatch. So you start at the start line, you've got to load five stones with the barrel as quickly as possible. So you go down to the crowd, you can hear them. You set in your start position because it's a sprint start because the barrels are five metres apart. So you've got to sprint to the stones. David's like, he's got this real loud voice, set. As soon as he goes set, 20,000 people go dead quiet. It is weird. And then he goes, God, and you just belt down the line. One stone, two stone, three, four, five. You load your fifth or you miss it or whatever. And then all of a sudden the noise comes back because the crowd's been screaming the whole time anyway, but you don't hear it. You You're hear it, yeah. so out of it. You're in the zone, and yeah. then it just, the noise just comes down on top of you like a flood and your system just goes back and it is the greatest feeling in the world. Um, so it's one of those things when you step away from that, I can understand how it becomes quite a hard thing to walk yeah. away from because you're always striving for that good feeling and talk to AFL players, NRL players, NFL players, 100,000 people in the crowd cheering your name. It would be just a surreal feeling. So I can understand why guys come away from sport and really do struggle because it's a huge struggle coming away from it. Um, So, yeah. I think it's the identity. Like, I mean, it's who they've been for so many years. Let's, let's take an AFL player, for example. If you're, 
you're a 17 year old kid that gets drafted and if you're fortunate enough to go the journey and you play until you know your early 30s um you've been doing that for 15 odd years you know sometimes longer in some cases you know so and you know the ones we see on tv i mean they're only a small percentage of, of people that get a job in the media but you know with the rest of them they've pretty much got to reinvent themselves and the clubs i think probably do a better job now than they did years ago but um still nonetheless like it's up to them at the end of the day to make it happen yeah. and, and to find you something so- you know yeah you can sort of see like the guys maybe 20 30 40 years ago who played for AFL but had a normal job. Yeah. You, took, you hear about it all the time. The lads who played AFL that used to be, you know, brickies by the day and then yeah. they played AFL on the weekend. You know, you can see how those guys probably came away from retirement actually a little bit better because guess what? Their nine-to-five job is still there when they're done. Yeah. You know, and these days a nine-to-five job is AFL, um, which obviously shows the standard of the sport has gotten higher. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's just again we talk about it. And we said everything seems to go back to the mental side. Yeah. Of how you come out the other end. Hundred percent, man. I wanted to ask you about your diet as well. Yeah, man. So, Eat I'm, anything. I'm assuming, I'm assuming you've got a nutritionist or some sort of coach that helps you with that, or guides you so, some sort of guidance, or how does that look? Through Gentech, basically for me, it's it's. I'm not like a bodybuilder. I don't count calories. I don't do anything like this out of the other. I, I judge myself solely on what I'm getting ready for. So it, it's strongman and the way I do my diet for strongman is very different to how what a lot of people would expect. So like for me, if I was walking into a, a, a world record attempt for a heavy pull, my body weight would be heavy. Um, because I need body weight. Mass moves mass. That's just science. So the heavier you are, the easier it's going to be able to move. Don't get me wrong, you still need to be really, really strong, but just having that extra mass is going to help you move something. So for a train pull or a truck pull or something ridiculously heavy, I'm aiming to be into that 145 kilo mark. Uh, But if it's sort of like a Highland Games we were talking about or a weightlifting competition, my body weight would be down into the 130s. I can move better, my recovery is better, my speed's better, everything is better when I'm a little bit lighter. Um, and then if I guess if you're talking about just a strongman competition that's not overly heavy, more of a like a, um, I wouldn't say a fitnessy type strongman comp, but event where there's maybe more carries for distance or speed stuff, I'd be sort of that 135, 137 mark. If the competition is quite heavy, so let's say the distances are a little bit shorter, but the weights are a lot heavier, I'd be sort of sitting around that 140. So it really depends, man, on, on the style of competition, mm-hmm. how it's structured. But what about your diet itself then? Does that vary a lot? Like, or yeah. it can yeah, like, yeah. in regards to like yeah. calories taken in? Because I know you don't count calories, but do you have a rough idea like what you'd be taking mm. in? When I was competing, probably when I was competing would have been more so because I was training a lot harder than what I do now. Yeah. Because um, you got to remember these days I'm training specifically for one thing. So like if I've got a train ball for the six to 12 weeks, I'm just solely getting ready for one event versus when I was competing, I was getting ready for like eight events over that period. So my intake was high. But I remember when I was competing and I was about 143, 144, I was eating every two hours and I was eating a full meal every two hours. So like I'd wake up in the morning, I'd have a full meal, then every two hours after that I'd eat again. 
Okay. So like I'd be eating constantly. The only time I didn't have more than every time I didn't eat every two hours was when I was training. That's the only that was time. It. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd think what you have as a normal meal, I'd knock off every two hours almost. So you could probably even do the math on the calories yourself. Yeah. Thousands. Um, easily thousands. Um, but yeah, again, a judge number, again, all these strong men guys, all these boys talk about 20,000 calories and stuff like that. Maybe, I don't know. I've spent a lot of time overseas with a lot of these guys. I don't know if I really saw them eat that many calories. They ate a lot more than I did, but they were also 40 kilos heavier than me. Um, so, you know, but it, it's also very funny to see the guys um, when you sort of sit at the table at a competition, especially a big worldwide one, you sort of all sit down together and you know how like you'd normally get a, like a two, like a, like a 600 mil Coke. Like most of the guys got like 1.25s. <laughs> Everyone gets one each. You sort of sit there and like, oh my god, what the hell do I need one of them for? I don't know. Just give me a six hundred mil. That's yeah. fine. You know these boys. These boys put away just copious amounts of stuff. You know, huge. But you just got to remember uh, what they're putting into their system. Yeah. Um, they burn off like that for a, a wealth of different reasons. Yeah. What are they like, like as a group of guys? Like, what is the industry like? The strongman fraternity you know so to speak is there a lot of egos there like competing are they a lot of these guys humble in what they do like do you get a mixed bag like, how did you find personally i was fine with most of the guys um i guess it was the strongman was a little different when i was competing because i've been out of the strongman game for a few years i retired strongman before i retired weightlifting so i wasn't i really haven't been doing my strongman competition since about 2015 um i turned pro at 21, so I was a very young um, pro. Um, so a lot of the guys, myself and Ed Hall, both did our first pro show together. We were both, yep. he was 22 and I was 21. We did our first pro show together in Melbourne. Me and Ed have got along really well over the time. Um, I've competed against Thor, Brian Shaw. Um, all these guys I've had dealings with in, in the past. I've emceed some of the biggest shows in Australia and dealt with guys like JF Karan and, and and Colin Wolf from New Zealand, a good friend of mine, Luke Reynolds from Sydney, all these guys, all, all elite standing guys I've had no dramas with uh, on the competitive side, on the emceeing side, uh, or even on the business side. Like I've never really had a drama with any of them. Well, there's obviously different levels. When you get to that pro level, the standard is so high, there's only a very few guys really there. So when you do your pro show, it's just a very different... Um, I guess stand up, it's also a very different feel on what goes on. You know, you are very competitive towards each other, there's no doubt about that. You can feel the competitiveness, but you also can you can see it, especially when you warm up. Um, it's funny you do like um so we do a Viking press or a press out the rack, and um, you know, I remember doing my warm-ups, it was like 150 kilos of the hands, and I was like 21 and it was like push pressing 150. So I got like, I think I got one rep at 150, you know, and we were warming up and the, the, the guys who are so strong at pressing, like I'm using legs, push press, push press, whatever. These boys come out and I just start strip pressing. Wow. Your 1RM for reps. And, they, you know, they're doing it on purpose just to, you know. Of course just, they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of yeah. course, it's an intimidation. Yeah. And, you know, but it's nothing untoward. That's, that's part of the game, though, isn't it? Like, that's showmanship, you know. 
Yeah. And I was no different when I was the biggest yeah. guy lifting at the competition. I did things where I would do it just because it would give me the mental edge. Um, you know, I did, uh, I won't use names. I had a competition that I was at and I knew the guy that I was up against wanted a piece of me really badly because, you know, he was an up and comer. Um, but I knew he was really nervous and I could see he was really nervous. So me and him were actually paired together in one event. He's gone up and he's chalking up his hand. His coach is with him. They're all the way down the other end, already mm. ready to go. Me being me, I'm just taking my time, chatting to people in the crowd, meeting people, slowly walking up, just putting chalk on my hands, just slowly. And he's probably been up there two or three minutes. And the guy who's running the show is like, Are you ready? I'm like, No, no, just give me one second. I just fucked around my belt and I didn't really need to. Taking time, yep. yep. He's, he's already there holding on to them. The farmer's walk's ready to go. Mm. He would have been there for a good minute or two setting himself up. Like, you ready? And I'm like, yeah, well, like one second. My belt's on. I'll give you a nod when I'm ready. Set my hands. And he's like, ready? I'm like, yep. And he asks the other guy, ready? Yep, good. Bang, we're both up next to each other. And, you know, we're neck and neck, like right next to each other. And I'm like, okay. I could probably go a little bit quicker, but I don't have much more I could go. So I just tried to nudge a little quicker. I'm like, no, that'll do. Don't go any faster when you bugger it. And he goes down. He drops one, falls over, and goes everywhere. And I just cruise through the finish. Bang, hands up, stoked, walked off. He would have beaten me. All ends up. If that was just a head-to-head where I just walked up there and gone, I guarantee he was just a smidge too fast for me. A little younger, a little bit probably fitter at the time than I was. But all it took for me was just to unsettle him a little bit because he wanted he wanted to go faster. He because he knew we were right on each other. He just probably yeah. didn't know how much he had to go. And he's just trying to give out a little bit more, and that little bit more was too much. He just went too much, and it cost him. And okay. it cost him lots. It cost him from it maybe even if he didn't beat me, he would have got second overall. But it knocked him from second back to like fifth because he dropped everything. I'm glad you told that story because, you know, you hear it time and time again. It's not always the stronger or the fittest one that, that actually wins, you know. And um, no, I, time I'd... and time again, man, in sport, us, you know, it's just the same players that step up, the same athletes yeah. that step up in the moments, like those pressure moments. Yeah. I'd seen him before. I knew I'd watched his list before and I knew it would be close. I knew we'd go close and I pride myself on being very fast through certain events. And this was an event I was quite fast at, but I knew he was very fast as well. He had good foot movement. And um, like I said, it was more about who could just hold it better, who could hold their wits better for that 20 metres. And if I'd, like I said, if I'd gone faster, I knew I would have stuffed it because my grip would have given out or I would have tripped or something. But like I said, he wanted to go that little bit faster. You know, it, it like I said, if, if all those little things didn't happen, it could have been a completely different story. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's just one of those things where, again, and that, and that comes down to different level of athlete too. You know, he was an up-and-coming guy. Skill was definitely there. Ability was definitely there. But the mental side of it, just not quite there yet, not quite understanding, you know, what's going on around him. Like if that was me, let's say I was the guy up the other end and I could see what I was doing, First thing I would have done was I would have stepped out. I would have walked away and I would have just stood there for a minute. I would have spoken to my coach. I would have just ignored everything. Yeah. Other Biggie was doing. Ignored him. 
Yeah. It doesn't matter what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. And then, then when he steps in, I'll then step in and then we'll go. You know, rather than wait there and get nervous by the whole situation, nervous of what I'm doing. You know, I, I can't change that. All I can change is what I do. Um, so it's, yeah, it's one of those things. And that and that's just the level. We're talking about the different levels and the different things and the way we all react. And, you know, it does get a bit clicky and that type of stuff. The American guys and the European guys tend to stick with each other. And the Aussies and the New Zealanders, we just go everywhere because we don't give a fuck. We'll just talk to anyone because yeah. that's what we do. Yeah. You know, we just don't care. Um, but, yeah, it is a bit clicky. But, again, again, then you go down to the lower level and, and your beginners and stuff like that. Everyone's just love for each other. It's really good. Um, then you sort of build up through the avenues and then you get the attitudes of some of the guys who think they're really good, become big fishes in small ponds, but they'll never take that next step up and get their yeah. ass kicked by the guys at the top. My first interstate show, um, my first ever interstate show, I was in Maryborough in, in Victoria, Highland Games there. Um, I was like 18, maybe. And um, I rocked up and I looked around at the guys in, in, in the lineup and I had, you might not know these names, but I can give you a bit of a list off of who they are. So I had a guy named Scott Martin, who you might remember from, can you remember the NAB ad on television, the big bald headed dude, the tutu that used to throw the shot when it was Olympics a few years ago? I reckon I do, yeah. 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 And I yep. So Scott Martin was three to- uh, two or three-time Olympian um, for shot put. He's got the Australian record for shot by like 21 metres or something ridiculous. Um, you know, like he's been top three in the world in throwing. Then you have Aaron Neighbours, who was – now remember, this is a Highland Games competition. Aaron Neighbours, who was elite discus thrower, Com Games discus thrower, who three years later was World Highland Games champion in two different federations – and then I had Dale Stevenson, who was our two Olympics ago, our Olympian for shot. And then about three or four other guys who were like shot put specialists. Now, Island Games is throwing, throwing stones, shot put stones, caber, etc. So I'm going into a competition as a green as grass, um, young strongman versus Olympians, Com Games athletes, future World Highland Games. Champions. The big names. Big oh, dude, it would be household like household names. Yeah, mate, it'd be like if you'd never kicked a football before and you're lining up against Lance Franklin and yeah. Gary Ablett. Going, yeah. yeah, you're on now, son. You just sit there going, oh, "This is the worst." But I was just so happy I could be there, and I wanted just to show these guys I wasn't shit. And I got absolutely towed. I think like <laughs> I was second to last in every event. I got absolutely smashed. But yeah. the guys took the time to show me stuff too. They're like, just nice. put it here, do this, do that, different. And there was one event that I did with them, um, which was a strongman event, which was kind of my event. And I actually won that and it threw them all back. Like, wow, you absolutely smashed that. That's awesome. But, you know, they bring you up like that and then they tear you down and spank you and everything else. But, you know, it was just, <clears throat> it was just so cool to get my ass kicked by guys that were so yeah. good. So good because I could reti- like, retire now and tell this story. Yeah. And I could tell you and say yeah. I competed against these guys who are so good and, they whooped me and it was the best. And it's probably why they're so good because what you just said then and 
you know, there's that sense of they're humble enough to actually come and show you and help you, yet confident enough to put you to the sword as well when it's time to do that, you know. So I think you need both. I reckon okay. that, and, and that's what. But it was so got, you know. it was so inspirational too. You know, I'm doing the old, you know, high school shot put. You know, tilt a little bit to the left and give it a yank. You know, Scotty Martin's doing a proper turn through the circle and just popping this stone like three times as far as I can could throw myself. And you sit there going, "Oh my god, I'm actually watching the best in the world do this." Yeah. Like you're actually sitting there watching. There's like almost no one better than him doing it, and you're sitting there watching it, not just from the crowd, but you're right in there with him doing it. Yeah, it's just a, it's just such a cool thing to say, and a lot of people will never get that opportunity to say that. How often can you turn around and say, you know, I lined up on Buddy Franklin, or I played against Ronaldo, or I, you know, blocked LeBron James? Like, not many people. You can say I saw him from a distance. But how many people can come out and say, yeah, well, I threw that with that person or I competed with that person? Right, yeah. Win, lose, or draw. Yeah. Well, you were in the arena. You were, mm. you know, you were yeah, a gladiator participating with the best of the best, you know. So Absolutely. unbelievable, man. Two, I've got a couple more questions, man. I'm yeah. coming up to an hour now, so I don't want to... Yeah, no, man, long, you're, mate, you're, but this, this always happens, man. If, I if love you it. Tell, if you need to tell me to be quiet, man, just say it. I want to know, like... Pain threshold, right? And obviously knowing or thinking you can't do any more, how do you go about developing, you know, what your pain threshold is or what you think you can do? And how do you push past that, like, to do more? Because that's probably another separator as far as I can see, you know, what some people are prepared to to do to that next level versus what... It's always... It's always about how hard you're willing to do something. So, like, I blew my left bicep off and just put a piece of ice on my arm and strapped it up and finished my shift at work, Um, went to the hospital and got surgery the next day. Within a week of having surgery, I was back in the gym squatting because I needed to get back in shape again because I had stuff I needed to do. And then I just kept working through everything I could until I could start using my arm again. Right bicep, tore it off at a training session, did my whole day's work, coached, went to surgery the next day, had it redone two days after surgery, back in the gym doing legs. <coughs> um, the train pull. <coughs> um, ask anyone who's, <coughs> who's done something like that before. The first 10 seconds of a train pull is the most excruciating pain you will ever have. For the same, for the simple reason is when you push into that harness, every bit of blood rushes to your head. For the first 10 seconds of effort, almost nothing happens. You're putting effort into nothing. And then all of a sudden, you feel it start to roll. And then you're like, finally. And then by that point, you've worked out you've given 100% of your effort for 10 seconds for nothing and then you've still got to put another 40 seconds in yeah. <laughs> or a minute in or whatever. So you're like, oh, well, I've given everything just to start it. Everyone talks about, oh, once it's rolling, it's getting going and it just goes. 
Mate, think about the 10 seconds or 20 seconds you put in before that to get it going. <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things where the things I tend to think about is I put the pressure on myself <clears throat> in the sense of, sorry. You're all right, man. <coughs> Sorry about that. <clears throat> I guess I put the pressure on myself in the sense of I want to do these things to, to say thank you to so many people, but I guess. I make myself have to do them. I put myself in that situation where I have to do it. My thought yeah. process is, <clears throat> I have to do this. Put myself on television. It makes me have to do it. I have no choice but to do it. So it's almost like <clears throat> put yourself in the position where you have no choice and you just have to do it. You've got to demand more of yourself. You put yourself in Absolutely. That moment where before I pulled the train the first time, <clears throat> I remember walking out, 2,000 people, Channel 9, Channel 7, Hasn't been this train hasn't been or a train hasn't been pulled in Australia for <clears throat> at that point thirteen years, or yeah, almost fifteen years. So I was the first person to do it in fifteen years. And um, I walked out and went, Jordan, you just have to do this. You have no choice. You have to do this, or you're going to look like a dick. Yeah, you have to do this, and you know you make yourself do it. But also the other thing is I look at the people that have come before me. All their hard work and all their effort has built the road for me to walk on. So I need to be able to build more of that road for the next generation to walk on. So I try and set that standard quite high. And I also think about the other stuff people do that's harder than what I do. Um, My mum. I use as an example, and my grandparents, for example, they went. My grandparents went through wars. They went through, you know, famine here, where crops and stuff didn't grow. They go through all that type of stuff. Famine is probably a strong word to use, but you know, they go through, you know, a whole lot of hard yakka from from years ago, mm. um, where life was a lot harder than it is now. Um, my mum, a single mum who put me through high school, who worked her butt off to keep me where I am, to support me, to help me. Uh, to become where I am. These are so many things that are so much harder than what I do. Yeah. Uh, you know, these things are lifelong driven things, not short space of time things that I do. So many people do so many things that are just outrageously crazy and hard. It just puts my stuff into perspective for me. Yeah. And, you know, it really makes me, you know, think about it and puts it into perspective for myself. Um, to to break that mental barrier to understand what has to be done and and how to do it, um, you know, and it's just yeah, it's one of those. It's a real it's a real hard thing to try and break that barrier, but you have to find where it is in your head and what you need to focus on to break that barrier to go past that. Yeah, um, you know. Pain is pain, you know, it goes away. Um, you know, hard work will pay off in the long run. Um, you know, it's just how hard are you willing to work? How hard have your family worked? How, how hard did your grandparents work, um, you know, to do what they did to, to give you the life you've got? 
um, you know, and I, I always just look back at what people have done before me um, and, and take their, uh, their attitude in a way, but also their, uh, what they do and try and put it into what I do. Yeah. And you know what ties into my last question, man, you said that limitless to you means that anything's possible and that if someone's got a dream, you know, they should dare to open their mind with no limits and go for that dream. Right. So what advice would you give to someone who's listening to this where they've, they've got an idea, maybe they've been hesitant, their, their fear, like fear of failure, fear of rejection, uncertainty in themselves. What would you say to anyone? Because, you know, coming from someone like yourself, you've, you know, you've done the hard yards, you've been able to work to such a high level. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people would be, you know, would look up to your achievements and what you've done, mate. So what just what 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 advice would you give to someone that's got a dream but maybe they're just being a little bit hesitant my biggest advice is the same way i started out knowledge is power learn from each other learn about what you want to do i was given so much knowledge by so many people on to to become the strong man i am today and I took bits of what everyone said and put it together with my flavour. Um, never block someone out in the sense of that if they're giving you advice, even if that's the first time they've walked into a gym, it's the first time they've done this, first time they've done that, they might say something that flips a switch in your mind that changes the way you perceive something or yourself. Again, don't you don't need to listen and take everyone's advice on all the time, mm. but just listen for it. Listen for something. Listen. Just go, ah, you know, that's gone in one ear. Okay, I know that thing. We'll let it go out that side. That one comes in. Ah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Why didn't I ever think of it like that before? That could work really well with this or that. Knowledge is power. You know, it, it's something that I fear that people get to the point where they don't want to learn anymore. They feel like they know everything. I don't know everything. Like I said, 20 years in in Mm. the strength game, I don't know everything. Young athletes come out and say something, and I'm like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. What made you think like that? And I'll sit there and ask them, why why did you think that would work? Oh, this, that, and the other. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Mm. You know, just sit and listen, chat to the guys who have done it before you, chat to the old timers, like pick their brains. Okay, they might be a broomie, you might hate what they say, you might hate what their style is, but just pick just pick their brains just because they've done it already. They've done what you want to do. Um, take their advice, learn from their advice, and it's going to make you better. Um, you know, find that dream, find that goal, grab it with both hands and run for it. You know, but always be, you know, uh, as I was saying earlier, always be professional in what you do. Always think about, always think outside the box, what you're going to do, how are you going to do it? <clears throat> you know, just be very mindful of how you do certain things to make it work for yourself. Uh, you know, like being a strong man in Australia, you know, it, I couldn't do it without a job. I had to have a job. I was a bouncer for years. Yeah. Because guess what? I needed a job to make money. You need to make money. That is life. So what did I do? I picked a job where I could train. I worked nights. I slept during the day. 
And I've trained my ass off every afternoon. And guess what I did? I went straight back to work that night, woke up, trained again. And that's all I would do every day. Work at night, train all day, recover, do it all over again. So I picked a job that suited my lifestyle. I wanted to be a strongman. I wanted to be the best strongman I could. What did I do to get there? What could I do to get there? Okay, I needed a job to make money. I need to pay bills. We've got to pay bills. That's, that's the way it is. So yeah. I did this so I could still keep doing that. You know, a lot of people turn and go, well, I'm going to be a fresh strong man. I'm not going to have a job. Yeah. Well, that's fine if you think you can somehow do that. And if you can, hey, more power to you. Good on you. God bless. But, you know, you need to be thinking about everything and yeah. working out how you can run over you. But yeah, again, like I said, if it's going to come down to anything, like I said, you know, have good people around you. You know, have a great support team because without them, who are you? Who are you without your family, without your supporters? You know, without a crowd of people when I pulled the train and without my support team, I'm just some random bloke pulling a train in the middle of a train yard yeah. in Mount Barker. That's all I am, you know. So yeah. always respect the people around you. Always give them their deserved love um, and always just learn, learn and don't stop learning and uh, it'll make you a better person for the future. <clears throat> I love it, man. Uh, thanks so much, man, for coming on. Where where can people find you? Like, if someone wants to reach out to you, where's the best place? You got social yeah. or... Yeah, absolutely. First yeah. and foremost, thank you so much for having me on. Having me on. So it's a little coffee fit halfway through where I thought I was. Ah, it's all good, it. mate. Um, <laughs> it was really, really good. I've just had an absolute bowl. But uh, if you want to find me, um, jump on Instagram, Jordan underscore Biggie or the King yeah. of the Circus. Um, and then you've got my webpage, which is www. Dot. I don't know how many W's I put in there, but I put a lot. We'll put <laughs> so the links. King of the Circus. Com. Au. Uh, and then if you want to follow my coaching page as well, which is uh, Coach Biggie and Family um, on Instagram. And then I'm just on Facebook as well, Jordan Biggie Stephens, the king of the circus. We'll put the links below, guys. So, yeah, that'll all be there. And, um, yeah, look forward to catching up, mate, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Point, like I said, right. thank you so much for having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm sorry I drew this out longer, but I had no, no, no. No, I'm just mindful, that's all, because I, well, I I allocated an hour and I thought some people, they're pretty tight with their time and, you know, yeah. I could tell you were sort of a little bit relaxed, but, yeah, that, that's all oh, good, man. Yeah, man, I think I've done a few of these that have been like... Yeah. I did one that was like two and a half hours. Joe, Joe Rogan style. <laughs> yeah, absolutely go to your drop, man. Absolutely go to your drop. Uh, awesome. Well, guys, I hope you got a lot out of it. I did. Um, yeah. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening, guys. If you got value from this, please give us a like and a subscribe and also share this with someone who you think may benefit having listened to it as well. I wish you all the very best in chasing what is your own version of your limitless potential.